Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Companion Gundog Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Geyer. And uh, in this time around, it's just me. It's been a while. Um, the last four or so episodes have all been interviews. I've enjoyed that very much. Um, it was a uh, divergence from the norm, as uh, as those of you that have been listening for a while know. You know this podcast started with Emily and I, and uh, and then kind <clears> of <throat> turned into a solo endeavor uh, for the most part, and then. I've kind of ventured into uh, into doing a few interviews, and I've really enjoyed that. And so uh, look forward to more of that coming in the future. But for today, I just want to kind of catch you up on the goings-on around here and uh, and maybe talk a little bit about um, uh, the season we're in. Uh, it's late October here. Tomorrow's Halloween day. Uh, and then really in, in my neck of the woods, we don't get into the, to the meat of the season, at least until the first frost, you know, so I'm running training dogs on our pigeons and a few pen raised quail. But really when we hit that first frost, we can kind of move out and venture out into the farm a little more, let these dogs open up and breathe and, um, and just have a little more fun. And then of course it won't be long now until, uh, until we're out in search of wild birds and, uh, and having a little bit of fun in the swamp. Um, I did take a little trip to, uh, I guess to the northernmost reaches of the Southern Appalachians recently. And, um, and so that kind of kicked off my hunting season outside of, you know, the normal obligatory dove. And I didn't really get any early goose in this year. Um, but I was happy to, to make that trip and, uh, and it certainly felt like fall up there. Um, so, uh, so for those of you excited, for those of you up in, in maybe, uh, areas further north. Uh, I hope you. I hope you've had a good season so far, and I guess you're counting down the days to when you're probably not going to be able to spend as much time in the field um, due to the weather. You know, and luckily down here that we don't really see too much of that. So, um, so enjoy it while you can wherever you are, and uh, and I hope it's been a. Uh, I hope it's been a good season to this point, and I wish you all the, uh, the very best of luck moving forward, enjoy your dogs and, and have a lot of fun. Um, before we fire off, uh, kind of get into the body of the podcast, I, uh, I do want to mention, uh, my friend Mike Nadusky at Ugly Dog Hunting. Um, for those of you that have listened to the last couple of episodes, you heard, uh, you heard Mike and I have a nice conversation about this new business endeavor. Um, uh, he's in the retail game now and, uh, I, I detailed my reasons for wanting to support Mike, and and so that continues. So those of you that did not listen to that one, please go back and listen. He's a great guy. Uh, he's somebody I trust immensely with uh, with my business, and um, and he is he's one of the good guys out there. And and there I'm sure there are others, but I know Mike personally. Uh, I, I trust Mike again, and I look forward to uh, a long relationship with him 
in regards to this podcast and his own business. I actually was on the line with him today, kind of ordering up all the things that I've broken or lost in the last few months to years. I needed some new nameplate collars for the client dogs coming in. A lot of those things are getting raggedy or they, or they move on with client dogs that I don't check as I, as I send them on their way home. And they're, um, so my, my nameplate collars, I'm sure are, uh, are far and wide across this country. Um, but he made that process super easy for me and I'm sure he will for you. Uh, I did, I've also ordered a couple of the new, uh, the new Garmin, um, gosh, is it TT twenties? I believe the new, the newer ones that are kind of, a kind of split the difference between the, uh, the older, larger tracking collars, track and train collars and the, and the TT 15 minis that they were running for a while that they seem to have discontinued. Um, you know, and, and you guys have heard some of my plight with, with this, these pieces of equipment, but luckily now I have Mike to lean on and I'm excited to try these, uh, try these new collars. They're, they're not quite as small as the TT 15 minis, but certainly much smaller than the predecessors. And, uh, and they seem to be a good fit. And so far they're holding up to, uh, to all of the, uh, the work I give them, which is, tends to be a lot. I'm pretty hard on the stuff around here. So, um, Garmin is of course the height of technology and, uh, and it's hard to not use them when you're looking in the, in the track and train game, as I've spoken in the past. So if you're in the market for something like that, Mike is your man. Um, you know, any money you spend with him is certainly going to find its way back into our world. Um, he's Mike is a, an enormous supporter of, uh, of conservation efforts, uh, having to do with, uh, the pursuit of birds and small game and the habitat that they inhabit. And, uh, and so, um, you know, again, if you got, if you need any equipment or gear, that's your guy. Uh, give Mike a call and I'm sure he'll set you up or look him up online. That's ugly dog hunting. Give that a Google. Um, and, uh, the website's nice and clean, easy to interact with, easy to place your order. Uh, certainly get on the newsletter. The writing is high quality and, uh, and it's going to keep you up to date with any of the goings on there. So, um, speaking of goings on, uh, outside of my little trip to West Virginia, uh, there have been some changes to the uh, to the St. Hubert's trial. We're still scheduled to have it for February 3rd and 4th. Still looking forward to that. Um, for those of you that have already registered, you probably know uh, you would have gotten an email uh, from Three Rivers Land Trust um, explaining that they'll be sending you a refund for your registration. Unfortunately, we lost that venue. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't know all the particulars on their end, but you know, these things are complicated. It's tough. And I think, uh, it's easy to, to say yes sometimes, and then start looking at all the, um, you know, the, the, the moving pieces and become a little bit overwhelmed with it. So, Unfortunately, that was a, it was a really cool venue, a uh, really natural area. What I'll say, I don't want to make any announcements yet, but I've, I've already been in the works lining up the next one. And it is a premier, um, a premier venue with wonderful grounds, very spacious uh, in, in the central Carolina region, right? So um, stay, uh, stay tuned for updates on that. Look to the Bird Dog Society. They are still going to be involved in that uh, game as well. Uh, so we're just waiting for the ink to dry on a few things. And, um, and honestly, it's going to be an easier venue in many, many ways and, uh, and certainly allow for more elbow room, um, and, uh, and just a, a beautiful place to go trial our dogs. So we're still quite a ways out from that. If you have not, um, 
If you have not registered yet, then just give me a few a few days to a week or so, and we'll have that new registration up. We'll make the announcement regarding the new venue. I do have a Facebook group that I uh, that I started just so I can pass information on that. Um, that is the St. Hubert's uh, Trial Americas. So um, just give get on Facebook, look that up. Um, it's a Facebook group, um, St. Hubert Trial or St. Hubert Americas Trial. Um, so if you have questions, feel free to to reach out to me personally, but that's really the best place to get your information as, as far as that's concerned. Um, you know, Nick and I ran a podcast on it again, unfortunately, some of that information is no longer up to date, but, uh, but do, do keep your eye on that thing. And, uh, we hope to see you here. It's going to be a great trial. It's, it's a wonderful format and I'm going to be playing. So, uh, as soon as I can pass off all these executive and administrative responsibilities, I'm out and I just want to play with my dogs. So for the, those of you that feel the same, come hang out with us. It will certainly be a big party. Uh, I can't guarantee too many things, but what I can guarantee is, uh, is there's going to be food and a good time, uh, and, and probably lots of great food and lots of good times. So come on down for that. Come see us there. Keep your eye on the bird dog society and that Facebook group and reach out. If you have any questions, feel free and interact on that Facebook group. That's a, that's a good place to ask questions because I'm sure if you've got questions, other people out there probably, uh, are feeling the same way. So I'm going to circle back around to my little trip. <clears throat> And what I have planned for this podcast is I kind of want to detail that. I want to talk a little bit about uh, about traveling and hunting and 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 my pursuits and what my plans are for the year, uh, the little hunt that I had. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of let you guys figure out where I was, kind of what area I traveled to. There's gonna be plenty of hints. It should not be too hard, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be keeping any secrets when I start telling stories about it. Um, for those of you that are either well-read or have spent any time chasing, uh, upland birds or especially around the East coast and maybe the mid Atlantic region, the Southern Appalachians, if you will. Uh, so, so kind of see if you can figure this out as you go. And, uh, if you do, um, let me know, uh, I'm interested to see who all knows what I'm talking about. And, uh, and where I've been recently. Um, and, and after we speak about this little hunting trip, I do uh, something I want to just touch on, and I'm just going to allude to it here and circle back at the end is, uh, is kind of the origins of the domestication of the dog and the co-evolution of man and dog. It's something I've talked about a little bit on the podcast and, and this trip really, uh, just planted a seed in my head. It was hard for me to not think about that. So, you know, I, I packed up, uh, last week, um, actually the week before last, uh, I ran up on a, on a Thursday evening and traveled North, I'd say, Oh, I reckon about five hours of me. So didn't quite get me out of the South didn't make it all the way to the Mason Dixon line, but just shy of it. And, um, and right before I did, uh, by a stroke of luck, I already had this trip planned. I, I noticed that Project Upland had published an audio book, uh, and it was uh, George Evans' An Upland Sh- Shooting Life. Uh, so for those of you familiar with George Evans, that's kind of that was kind of his, I, I would say, like autobiography to some degree. He, he had a few other pieces out there. And I've started a few, but I, I, I'll be honest, I've never made it all the way through a George Evans book. It's not because I have a 
you know, a distaste for his, his writing style or anything. I did find, I find him to be, uh, you know, an, uh, like an impeccable record keeper and, and much of his writing, um, is, 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 it's got beautiful prose, but it's very technical in what it describes in birds and what ends up always in birds and, and bird hunting and dogs in general. And kind of what always ends up happening to me is I use his books as reference. Um, I, I am not an, an not a crazy prolific reader. Um, I do enjoy reading, but what I find for me is like, I'll open some books and I, I can't get out of them I'm, and I'm in them for a couple of days and they're over and I miss them. Uh, but probably much more often I'll crack a book and, uh, I'm not struggling to get through it. I, I'm enjoying the read, but it just kind of, you know, it doesn't suck me in. And I would say that's, that's always been my relationship with, uh, with Mr. Evans's books. I always appreciate him. I respect him immensely. He is certainly, as far as the modern Upland aesthetic, I think he, um, you know, can, can lay claim to, to being responsible for, for much of our romantic ideas about hunting. When I think of, uh, you know, grouse hunting and especially in kind of that, that mountainous Appalachian setting, um, that's where my brain goes immediately. It's that Ryman type setter. It's, uh, it's old doubles. Um, and, uh, and, and, thinking of the the landscape that that George Evans often described in his books. So with that said, you know, I, I threw that audiobook on and I headed north and I got into to his kind of old stomping grounds, if you will. I was up in uh uh again, that northern the northernmost reaches of the southern Appalachians. And so boogied north, uh kind of skirting east of the of the Blue Ridge for a while, up to the Alleghenies. Um, parked it for the night as I pulled into that area on the, on the Eastern side of, of a big escarpment and got up really early the next morning. And I had, uh, I had been in that area hunting and last time I was up there was 2007. I went with a friend, um, and my old setter and, uh, and we, we had a really nice time hunting. We spent about three days up there, primitive camping and, uh, and we actually got into quite a few grouse back then. And, and so this time, this area that I went to is really well known for, for a good woodcock flight as well. And, and back in those days we got up there, it was mid October, uh, just happened to be the time we could take. And we, we got there a little early for the woodcock flight. Um, but we did happen to get some good grouse action and, uh, and I knew I was kind of expecting to have the same thing happen to me this time. Um, so I, I was thinking of like, I, you know, but this, that kind of predated on X. I could remember where I had been when I was up there and, and I was like, I, I kind of expected, well, maybe I'll get into some grouse if I don't see any woodcock, uh, woke up Friday morning, drove up this great escarpment, you know, way high, getting into the kind of about 4,000 or, or, or above feet in elevation, um, parked it in the northernmost parking lot on, uh, on a, uh, a really kind of famous piece of ground up there. That's about 17,000 acres of, uh, a high mountain bog. So like Spangum bog everywhere you go, super wetlands, beautiful, beautiful country. It's like walking on another planet. Um, and when I had been up there in 2007, uh, 
it was almost empty. We ran into a few deer hunters while we were up there. I don't think we saw another bird hunter the whole time we were on the, on the, at the higher elevations anyway. Um, and this time I pulled into that parking lot just before dawn. It was still dark. Uh, the wind was blowing. The temperature was dropping pretty heavily. It was like in the, I would say like low forties, probably dipping into the thirties that morning. Um, and that parking lot, that tiny parking lot that was barren 15 years ago when I was there, uh, was absolutely packed full of cars. And I had no idea like what, what people might be doing up there or why. Um, but everywhere I drove, there was like cars pulled off the side of the road. I was seeing a lot of folks walking around up there that looked like they had kind of stepped out of an REI catalog. And that's cool. Like that was a little bit, um, soothing, uh, as, as I didn't see any blaze orange, um, probably should have on those folks knowing the time of year it was, but, uh, but it was, you know, a lot of hikers, a lot of people enjoying the, uh, the time of year and obviously leaf peeping the leaves, leaves were amazing. Um, at least on the way up that big blow that, that morning kind of knocked a bunch of them down at the higher elevation. So I kind of cruised along the back roads and down the, the Western slope of that escarpment until you kind of dip into a, into a big valley below. Um, and I walked in to kind of grab some lunch as I was looking around before I hadn't stepped off yet. And I was kind of a bit taken aback by just how many people were there and pulled into the little town that George Evans wrote about so much and, and that I stayed in the last time I was there, stayed around the last time I was there and, uh, and was informed, um, by the, uh, by the hostess that, COVID had really just driven a ton of folks to that area in the, you know, during the tourist season and it had become, um, it just kind of seen a boom and, and that's what was going on. And so people were still there, you know, kind of hanging on from that time. So, so that's good. You know, it's good that folks are getting outside. It, It definitely changed, uh, in what felt like a very short period of time, that little area for me. Um, but, uh, I, I, and commenced to, to getting out and found a little hole that I remembered from the last time I was there. And, um, lo and behold, all that, the timber that had been cut when I was there the last time was pretty mature and, uh, and there were no birds to be found. So we did a lot of walking, um, that Friday, uh, Friday afternoon, um, no bird contacts, had a friend come in, my friend Abe and his, his dog ghost joined me. Um, and actually ghost had been with me for the previous class and ghost is a little cocker and we'd been working on just getting him to, to sit to flush and be a little steady watching birds fall out of the sky. He's already kind of a, a maniacal bird hunter as it was. And, uh, and he came a long way while he was here with me in this class and we had a lot of fun, um, just kicking around the woods with him and Althea out searching the ground, looking to flush. And we had put down a, my setter Teddy for a while, who's a Llewellyn, not quite the Ryman type that, that George liked, but, um, but a beautiful dog nonetheless. And we walked through some really, really beautiful country Saturday, uh, with no bird contacts. And so, um, unfortunately Abe had to pack up and go home the next morning. So I, I bid him and ghost farewell. And I went out, uh, really looking hard and I knew I wasn't going to run into any grouse. So I was hoping in the off chance that maybe the woodcock had moved in. So I moved into the bottom of that Valley and, uh, and got into some alder runs and worked really, really hard, hunted hard all day and, uh, and did find some, a little bit of splash. I, I assume maybe some, a resident bird or two. And in the last hour, um, 
of the hunt of three days, uh, I didn't get a point. I had a, I had a bird flush ahead of my setter, Teddy. Um, Teddy didn't even, I don't even think recognized it as a bird. That would have been his first woodcock hunt. Gave me a beautiful shot through the alders and I considered taking it. Um, and, uh, and we moved up to see if he'd pointed again and that he never even got back on that bird. My lab Althea was at heel and I kind of let her scour the ground where I thought that bird got down. He got up again and again, presented me with just a beautiful shot. This time I took it. Um, it felt like I had all day to kind of level that gun and look at him and pulled the trigger and watch that bird just sail away happy as a lark. And so, uh, maybe it's all for the best. Uh, he, he's still there. She's still there. I assume, I think it was a female to be honest with you. She got up nice and big and pretty and, uh, uh, there to welcome the birds as, as they're coming in this week on this beautiful full moon that we had. So that was my experience. That was my first hunt of the season, three hard days of hunting, one flush in the very last hour. And I'm, I'm not only okay with it, it was a wonderful experience and I'll probably go back again next year. I might try to give it one more week. Uh, let that, let that flight get started a little better. I just have to kind of rearrange my calendar to make sure that works. But it, it led me to thinking, you know, as I got down in that bottom and I stepped into, uh, into those alders and into the shade, uh, it's like stepping into a, a parallel universe. It was really, uh, you know, I think, many of us do this. There's, there's a bit of escapism with bird hunting. And, and I certainly felt it that day. Not only does all the kind of concerns and and worries of normal life kind of melt away as you're, as you're focused on moving in the country you're in. Um, but it, it, you kind of seem to kind of play a little trick on space time, uh, while you're in that, in that, area you know if you can just let go and make sure you don't look at your phone or your watch for a while um you can you can have some wonderful moments so i encourage all of you to do that hide your phones from yourself hide your watch for yourself make sure you got everything you need to get out (laughs) safely um you know we don't want anybody out there lost in the big country like it's so easy to do but also uh you know enjoy the time you're in there. Let, let time freeze for a bit and, uh, and, and kind of drink in all the romance of the things we do. Um, and I certainly was able to do that and I wouldn't change anything other than maybe a few birds, but that's okay. Uh, I didn't need it. I'll get my opportunity before too long, uh, in my home covers and, uh, and I hope some of you will join me. So I've got a, uh, I've, I've got my, training hunts scheduled for the year. I've got a few availabilities open. So if it's something you're interested in doing, if your dogs never had a woodcock contact, like, uh, like my new setter, Teddy, um, and you want to come down and, and do some searching around for birds, give me a call. We'll do a little bit of, um, map study and we'll kind of pick a region we're going to go. We'll keep our eye on the flight and, uh, and we'll get in there and see if we can't move some birds. But at the very least, what you'll learn is, is how I approach prospecting habitat. And, uh, and I think we have usually a better than average chance of getting into birds kind of based on, you know, the way the last couple of decades have worked for me. So, um, so give me a call again. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna find any honey holes and beat them up with you. Um, but I will do my best to help you figure out how to do it at least the way I do it may not be the perfect way. Um, 
but I've had enough success to feel comfortable sharing that with folks at this point. So again, look that up. I'll get you on my calendar and, uh, and we'll start talking about it before long and see if we can get your, your young dog or your old dog that needs experience some, some woods time and hopefully a few bird contacts, but more than anything, uh, just a nice escape into, into those beautiful areas we like to go hunt and, uh, and kind of get an idea of what it is I'm looking for when I'm prospecting for birds. So give me a call on that one. So kind of speaking of that, that feeling you get when you step into a new cover and you, you feel like you get to chase like cheat space time just a bit. Um, it always, it always kind of makes me think about my relationship with my dogs. And for whatever reason, my head always goes back to kind of like how amazing it is uh, that we've got these, these animals that we share our lives with and how did we end up here? You know, and, and for a brief period of time, uh, in college, I was an anthropology major and I got really into zooarchaeology, um, mostly because I was into bird dogs at that point in time and into dogs in general. And I, I, have always been fascinated by these relationships we share, not only with dogs, but with all the other animals that have kind of co-evolved with us or that we domesticated along the way, um, that, that have served us, you know, so, so well for millennia at this point. Um, how do we get to this place? And, uh, and my, you know, I, I have talked about it plenty of times on this podcast, but I, I certainly miss, um, the hunting dog confidential podcast. That was uh, such a wonderful resource. And so, so rich with information. Um, it's been, it's been a year or better now. I think it's been about probably 13, 14, 15 months since they last published an episode. And I understand there's not, you know, there's this podcast deal is kind of a, a low reward thing if you're looking for a return on investment, but I do, I find it a very high reward thing in regards to, um, into sharing your thoughts with, with others and developing a sense of community. And, and that was a wonderful podcast. And so I certainly miss it. I think they had 32 episodes over a two year period. I don't know if we'll ever hear from them again. Um, but if you're looking for information on kind of the origins of hunting dogs in the modern era, I don't think there's a better resource. And, um, and I, I still go back and, and re-listen to those episodes. It's probably even a month or so since I, since I revisited it, but I, I often do, if there's something I'm, I'm thinking about and I'm looking for information, I always go back to that podcast. So if anybody out there listening knows any of the, uh, the movers and shakers over at Project Upland or, uh, happens to know Craig Koshik or Jennifer Wapinski, personally, hey, get, get in their ear for me and just tell them I really miss that. And I'm there. I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, and here's a plea to just, uh, to go out and make us another one, you know, yeah, just, just, just some feed, scratch that itch for me. Um, if you don't mind. So, um, so, you know, I, they've covered all that stuff so well, I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, but I, I don't want to just c- kind of cover all the things they've covered in the past. And so, uh, again, for that brief period in time, I was this anthropology major in college until I realized uh, there was a foreign language requirement. And for somebody that was spending more time kind of kicking around trout streams and, and logging roads uh, in, around Watauga and Ash and Avery County, North Carolina, um, 
Uh, I was struggling to find a way to to take the classes I wanted to that I could pass easily and any foreign language was not going to be that. So eventually found my way out of the anthropology department and into the geography department where I was uh, uh, lucky to land in the, um, the earliest times of ArcGIS with Esri. This is again before Onyx. And, um, and so my entire uh, raison d'etre in college and the entire reason for my major was just figuring out how to study maps better so that I could hopefully find more grouse and better trout streams. And, uh, and that worked in my favor. And, and I often tell people that I have the best, um, the best job anyone could possibly have with a geography major, uh, as a dog trainer here. And I love it. And I still lean on that information that I got back in those days. But since the advent of Onyx, I got to admit that I, I, I don't lean on it quite as hard as I used to. And, um, and technology has certainly made that part of hunting easier for us. Uh, but in that brief time that I was there, uh, I did, I did learn quite a bit about the, the origins of man and, and, the animals that we depended upon. So I took a class called zooarchaeology and most of that was studying for me, uh, white-tailed deer bones, turkey bones and rough grouse bones. Um, and a few quail bones that we had in, in archives. And I, I spent a lot of time, all the papers that I had the opportunity to, to kind of pick and choose the topic of what I was going to write. Um, they tended to be on, on those animals in that class and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I also got to dive a little bit into the domestication of dogs. And, and so I want to talk a little bit about that today. We're not going to go deep on it because it is a pretty dry subject and I won't kill you guys with that stuff, but I think it's fascinating to consider what we do these, you know, when we look at our dog on the couch or on the floors, I'm looking at my two, three, um, laying around me on the floor here, like how we got to this point. And, um, and so I think it's important to kind of note, like, what is, let's kind of think about what human history is, what we know about human history. And so it's broken down. The history of humanity is kind of broken down into four phases. At this point, we have prehistory, which is 3.3 million years ago, uh, to 3000 BCE. So BCE stands before, before common era, essentially just took the place in scientific literature of BC. Um, and, uh, ancient history is considered 3000 BCE to 500 CE, which is common era. So, or 1500 or 500 CE, pardon me. Yeah. So, you know, that's essentially when we think BC AD, this is what we call it now, BCE and CE. Uh, and then, post-classical history. So we're thinking like kind of the, the post-Greek era where we had all the earliest important literature, or what, I guess maybe not just important literature, but that was really literary history kind of coming into, uh, into being, um, being around that ancient history into the post-classical history time. And post-classical is considered 500 to 1500 CE, uh, and then early modern period, which would be 1500 to 1800 CE, right? So we're getting into the modern era from there. We've, you know, we 1800s on, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about people of generations that we can almost recall, right? I think many of us don't remember 
or don't couldn't recall the names of maybe our great great grandparents and certainly our great 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 grandparents unless there's some sort of um you know family legends around specific people, which we have a couple in my family. But outside of that, I couldn't tell you much about the lineage going that far back. I can recall my great grandparents and my grandparents and, uh, and it pretty much kind of ends there for me. And I think most of us are like that. Um, the cool thing is we're talking, you know, 3.3 million years ago, that's at the dawn of prehistory for man. We know men or men, man existed uh, and men and women existed prior to that to some degree. We just don't know exactly how we don't really have fossil records or not fossil records, but, but, uh, anthropological records, bioanthropological records to, to tell us much before that time period, we found stone tools dating back to hundreds of millions of years ago. And we assume that early hominids had something to play in that role. But when we think of modern human beings, you know, the, 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 the bones that we find that tell us that they existed go back as far as 3.3 million years ago. And so there's this enormous period of time between 3.3 million years ago or 3.3 million years BCE, which I think you're dealing in rounding errors at that point to 3000 BCE, which is essentially, you know, 5,000, a little, a little more than 5,000 years ago. Um, you know, that's, that's an enormous swath of time. Uh, and the earliest, they believe that the earliest records of dogs or the earliest, uh, kind of evidence of dogs being in existence run back to somewhere around 40,000 years ago in Siberia. Some of that, uh, they're getting to through, um, the study of gen genetics. And since they've been able to map the, the genomes of these specific species in recent years, they're, they're, you know, lengthening these timelines by, by big big amounts. And, you know, prior to that, the earliest jawbone of a dog is, is roughly 15,000 years old. And, and when we think of that, that's still 10,000 years into prehistory. Um, if that, if prehistory ends at 3000 BCE, you know, 15,000 years ago is 13,000 BCE. That's pretty amazing. In, so, so dogs have at least existed with us that long. And I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that it's been quite a bit longer than that, at least twice as long to some degree. And of course, like humans, they, they kind of emerged in one area. They, they, uh, found specific regions of the world to exist in, uh, and then they thrived in some of those and maybe failed to thrive in others, but in the areas they thrived in, they disseminated and so we had dogs moving into Europe, and that's where you're finding these kind of modern, um, you know, ancient and pre prehistoric bones and relics from uh, from these dog human uh, encampments uh, and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, Italy, Switzerland, Belgium. Belgium has has a jawbone that they date back to thirty thousand years ago, but there's some skepticism around that. Because many think that that was a was just a wolf jawbone, but tough to say when you're looking at morphological changes over that period of time. But indisputably, um, the first domesticated dog that fourteen thousand seven hundred years, give or take a couple of hundred on either end, um, and so that's that's pretty amazing to consider. And you know what would what would humans and dogs be doing interacting with each other in that time period. And I think it's pretty obvious when we think about, 
you know, the, the relationship we have with them today, we're still using them for the same purposes in terms of working dogs, you know? So, um, hunting is one of the, the major reasons it makes sense for dogs and humans to, to interact with each other and, uh, and security. They offer us both of those things. And, and today, just like in those times, um, we get those benefits from our relationships with dogs. And, and when we think in that kind of period, we're almost not quite into geologic time, but, but not far off, you know, it's, there's a certainly room for evolution, especially when we think of dogs and to look where they've come from a divergence from a wolf in that 40,000 year region ago, uh, to today, yeah, it's it's fascinating to imagine, and you know, and considering that the Pleistocene ended about ten thousand years ago, which is the last ice age, uh, I think when you when you look at the evidence of of kind of the acceleration of um, of dogs becoming a more domestic companion animal, that kind of aligns with the end of the Pleistocene moving into the Holocene, which is. Uh, the time where the earth began to warm again. And and now we had a lot more flora and fauna available and, and these humans that had been scraping by on this, you know, ice covered earth for, for millennia are now having the opportunity to thrive more and more. And then we, we kind of make our way into, um, into the time where we begin recording history and, uh, you know, one of the earliest recorded stories in human history is the Epic of Gilgamesh. And, and there's a dog prominently featured in that story. Uh, and, and so, and there it goes from that point forward. So, um, so I, again, I'm not going to, you know, this is stuff you can find on your own with a little bit of research. If you're interested in it, I think I, I don't want to become, uh, the, uh, uh, the prehistory of dogs podcast, but at the end of the day, I do find it fascinating. So as you're out there hunting this season, consider that, consider how we got to where we are today and enjoy that thought, especially in, um, you know, in this, in this world we're living in now where there's so many distractions and so many people suffering, uh, you know, enjoy recognizing that we're, we're living in a wonderful time and that we have access to, uh, to so much, um, that our, our forebears didn't. And that if it wasn't for them and their dogs scraping by and surviving, we wouldn't be here today. Uh, and, and just hopefully you can kind of catch a grin as you think about that. Enjoy your hunting season. I know this was a short episode, guys. If you couldn't tell, I'm a bit under the weather. There's a bit of a, a scratch in my throat, and hopefully this is short-lived. got to get up and go to work tomorrow regardless, and I'm sure you guys are all in the same boat. So um, it's, that, it's that time of the year. If you, if you catch something, I hope, it's, um, I hope it's easy for you to recover from and, uh, and get out there in the woods, enjoy the fresh air, and, uh, and thanks for listening. I'll be back soon, uh, likely with a guest. So, uh, if you, if you f- have the notion and, and enjoy the podcast, please give me a five-star review. Uh, it, it helps a lot with folks being able to find the podcast and, uh, and I'll keep getting out there and doing my best to get you, get you stuff that I find interesting at least. And hopefully you do too.
Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.